Before I share with you uh, from God's word today, I just want you to uh, reflect on what God is actually doing in this country. Some of you may not be fully aware of what God is doing in our nation. And uh, we need to be tuned into him, you know. Sometimes we get tuned out and we get caught up with all sorts of things that trouble us, but we get lose sight of what God is doing. Uh, in the process of my ministry here for the last 34 years, I've seen God bring people to this country. There's a couple down here from India. There's Lamb from Egypt. There's all kinds of people who've come into Australia, and many of them have brought faith with them, like Nirut there. And, and, and Chan, who cried out in desperate need, and God met him. And there are testimonies that God has brought to this country, strengthening his body, uh, uh, refreshing it, if you like, in true faith, in a relationship with God. But you may notice that in our country at the moment, there's a lot of discussion about the indigenous uh, peoples and their position and their place in our nation. And, and really, that's something I want you to be thinking about because as Christians, we want to be thinking about these people. They are dear people to God. They are thinking about us and about this nation. And for a number of years, right in the centre of Australia, a small community of indigenous Christian people have been praying for our nation. And they have they've been inspired, captured by God for this nation. And they have put together a project. It's been going on for the last 10 or 15 years. And they have built a majestic cross. A majestic cross. On an iconic mountain in the centre of Australia. It's just been completed. And if you think of any country on earth where today governments and authorities would allow someone to erect a mammoth cross to the Lord Jesus Christ and allow it with the endorsement of the Indigenous Land Council and all the authorities and place it in the centre of our country right now, which country would you think would allow that to happen? Well, at Easter this year, this small community are going to be dedicating this cross and, and reflecting on, on its meaning for them and their whole community. And uh, there's a short video which I'd love you to watch this morning. Uh, I haven't, it's not the whole video of this uh, promotion of this, but it gives you a, just a sense of, of, uh, of what's happening there uh, at Hearts Bluff uh, in our country. So let's just see. We'll, we'll watch this video briefly. Back then, but putting the cross up on the hill. The cross is literally 
monument down the bottom there to the Aboriginal evangelist. One of them is his granddad. This project is a very exciting project for people in the Western Desert, so people can come together, people can share their knowledge, and it's an exciting project because it's about the cross. And the cross is a symbol that brings and unites all of us together. God is working in our nation. God is at work. God is, is seeking to remind the nation what really unites us, what really will bring us together, what really can touch the hearts of people, the cross of Jesus Christ. And this magnificent cross that cost millions of dollars to put together and, and, and get it to the top of the mountain. The story of actually erecting the two cross arms in that cross is just miraculous. As the wind changed direction, allowing them to raise these arms just amazingly. And uh, the engineer who, who was uh, assigned the task of putting the cross together on the mountain said the wind in the, the desert area can be a major issue. Well, the wind blew to enable them to put the arms perfectly in place. It changed 180 degrees from one side to the other after they'd lifted up one arm and then it changed the other to enable them to do this. It was extraordinary. The whole team were in silence for a few hours. God is working. And this morning I want to focus on your life and my life and what has God appointed for you to do? Because this little Hearts Bluff Christian community, God appointed them a task and they have followed through the task God has given them and it has raised a massive cross in the centre of our country and I'm sure it encourages you, it certainly encourages me. They have done what God appointed them to do. This morning we were reading from Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians, his first letter. was written to a a church community that was uh, certainly saved people. They'd come to salvation, but their activities were so grievous that Paul had to address them as babes, not as mature people in Christ. And he he brings to them the emphasis of how are you building on the foundation God has laid? You see, there are many ways we can build our lives. The Bible declares that there is only one foundation, of course, one true foundation that will last forever, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners. And what does it mean to be saved as a sinner? It means to be rescued from your separation from God, your inability to communicate effectively with him, To have your sins removed by his precious blood so that you can be reconnected to God and have fellowship with him. That's what salvation is. Reconnection to the living God who created you and put you together in your mother's womb 
who has plans for you that were from beginning of time he had a plan for you particular things for you to do on earth and we can spend lots of our lives doing all kinds of things and Paul is addressing the Corinthian church in this way but Jesus came as the foundation to deliver us from the bondage of sin, from separation from God, from the rule of Satan over our lives to lead us to do all sorts of things that will count for nothing. And Paul told the Ephesians two weeks ago, I preached on this passage, by grace you've been saved. It's nothing to do with what you've done. As Patty heard in the nursing home, if you're trusting what you've done, well actually you're going to hell. But if you're trusting in what Jesus has done, you're trusting in the foundation that is solid and, and you'll go to heaven for sure. I don't know whether you've made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. If you haven't done that, I just encourage you today to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Absolutely surrender to him. Uh, Yesterday I was singing down the street. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Let me tell you, I was singing it from the bottom of my heart. I have light in my soul, which for long I had sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy on my soul like the sea billows roll, since Jesus came into my heart. Well, that's the beginning. Jesus entering into your life because you surrender to him, you acknowledge you're a sinner. I need to be forgiven and cleansed with his blood. I need to be restored to my Father in heaven. I need to be reconnected. Lord Jesus, I just come to you for this. But that's not the end of Christianity. That's the beginning. It's just the beginning. A completely new life that we are now to live in relationship to the creator of the universe. And it's actually an eternal life. What Jesus deposits in your heart is eternal. It will never be able to be taken away. It will last forever. And that's salvation, isn't it? I come to Jesus and I receive eternal life. And once you've received your salvation, God calls you and me to build on this foundation. This is our response to him. And Paul is addressing this in this letter as he writes to the Corinthians. And he says to them, my dear friends, my brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. So there are two kinds of ways you can live. You can live by the Spirit of God that comes to live in you, or you can live by your flesh. As a Christian, you can live like this. The flesh is our natural uh, abilities, our natural understanding. It's all to do with the natural man. The, The things of the Spirit have been put in there by God, His Holy Spirit. He says... I have to address you as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? If you are comparing yourself to other people, you are in the flesh. God loves you as much as he loves me. He loves every single person exactly with the same intensity, desire, 
no partiality shows between any human being on earth if you're comparing yourself to others you're in the flesh if you're feeling hopeless about yourself you're not trusting that God so loves you he formed you in your mother's wombs and he delights in you you are so precious to him he would give up his own son to die for you and shed his blood on the cross to make you his own again so you can have a relationship with him that is the good news of the gospel but so often in our lives we are driven by comparisons by by jealousy by by looking around at other people living before them you know uh, getting 10 wickets for one that's <laughs> worth absolutely nothing and Paul writes to these Corinthians urging them to recognize there is a need for them to change the thinking some of them are saying well I follow Paul and I follow Apollos when I was at training in, in theological training you know, lots of people say, well, I'm following Calvin, I'm following Luther, I'm following John MacArthur, I'm following Tim Keller, I'm following this man or that man. What? God wants you to follow Jesus. Why? Oh, I like Michael's preaching. Oh, lamb, you know. <laughs> We're just instruments. In fact, Paul tells us here what we are. He says, when one says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, are you not merely humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you are believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. We are nothing. I'm nothing. It's God at work in our lives that is something. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Paul came with the message of the gospel of restoration through Jesus and his cross to the Father. You and I can be reconnected. This is for the Corinthian uh, Christians here. Reconnected to our maker. That was the foundation he laid. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. Let each of us take care how you build. Perhaps that ought to be my message this morning. Are you taking care how you build on the foundation? For no one can lay another foundation. Now, he says in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay stubble or straw hmm what does that mean what are you building with what are you building on the foundation that God has laid in your life Jesus Christ what are you building with you can actually build with wood hay and straw or stubble what does that mean well wood hay and straw let's think about those things for a moment 
These are all materials that will not survive the test of fire. They will all burn up. They'll be worth absolutely nothing in the end. So you can build with wood, hay and straw. What sort of works would these be? I love what Leonard Ravenhill, he's he's a very prayerful man uh, who has contributed very helpfully to reflecting on the scriptures. He says this, wood, hay and straw are very visible things. They're above ground. Everybody can see them. Wood, hay, straw. Things that other people can see. I like taking ten for one, you know. They bring some kind of glory to the person who's using them. And the Pharisees, religious people who were very, they knew the scriptures even. They were very active in building like this with wood, hay and straw. Jesus says to them, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Whoa, stop building the way you're building. Hypocrites. Outwardly, they look beautiful. You know, they had great things built, temples and all sorts of stuff. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate. It all looks good. But inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. There are attitudes of the heart that have not been addressed in your life. Jealousies, comparisons, all these sorts of things that motivate your behavior in your activity. And actually, it's all wood, hay and straw. It's going to burn up. Blind Pharisees, Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup. And the plate and the outside may also be clean. You see, because you can't have an intimacy with God while inside you're corrupted by sin. And you can't receive from God the eternal instructions that he has for you. Do you remember that memory verse this morning? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then, of course, people quote uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, but they don't go on to verse 12 and 13. You see, it's meant to lead us to the point, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. You see, because I don't know what the plans are, Lord. Please show me. And the first thing he'll show you is the corruption of your heart because you need to maintain a close relationship with God. You know, sexual impurity that might corrupt you or uh, telling lies and deceit, criticisms of others, jealousies, all these things are actually stopping you receiving from God the instructions concerning your eternal purpose on earth. And the Pharisees were teaching people to do lots of building with wood, hay and straw And it was all going to burn up. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to these religious works as having received their reward on earth from men. You know, cricket balls on stands, certificates, titles that give us human credit. What could I have done, you know? 
Jesus goes on to say that there are even more significant works that are undertaken in his name that are actually wood, hay and stubble. He says in Matthew 7, 21 and 23, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he says on that day, many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. Sometimes I wish I could cast out more demons. These people are doing this. And do mighty works in your name. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But Lord, we were doing great things. We were doing mighty things in your name. I never knew you. The intimacy of relationship between me and you was not there. What Jesus is referring to here is in fact spectacular works that were never planned by God in the foundation of the world. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul lays the foundation there. By grace you've been saved. It's not your work, it's God's work that has saved you. He says at the end of that passage, we are his workmanship, God working in us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the secret of living a life that is pleasing to God is finding out the good works he has prepared before the foundations of the world and entering into them and doing them. Well, there are other materials that Paul talks about here. Materials that are truly worth seeking for our building project. Gold, silver and precious stones. And Ravenhill says this, he makes an interesting observation, he says these materials, gold, silver and precious stones, are all underground. They can't be seen easily. You have to dig for them. You have to seek them out and find them. They require considerable effort in their digging, like the pearl of great price, But the man in the story that Jesus tells about the kingdom of God finds the pearl of great... He sells everything else for this one pearl. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to works that are hidden. When you pray, go into your secret place. And pray to who? To your Father who sees in secret... When you fast, why do we pray and fast? Because we're seeking God. Well, it ought to be that we're seeking God. I guess some people pray to be seen by others, you know. Look at my great prayers. We can even do that when we're together in a group. We can be praying, you know, nice sounding things for other people to listen to. Is our heart truly to lay hold of God? in prayer because we want to know what he is saying to us what is it you want me to do these things are gold silver and precious stones prayer fasting and giving to those in need jesus says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing do it before your father who is in heaven 
They're all done without reference to human sight. They're done before God the Father. The prayer and fasting works are connecting us, seeking God, having fellowship with him. Just as Jeremiah has reminded us, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll hear you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. Paul goes on to tell us, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So actually, there are rewards for those who do the works that God is purposing us to do. Rewards. What sort of a reward do you think this is? What kind of a reward would you like to receive? You know? Would you like... Would you like this? There's your reward. Not really. (laughs) When we think about it, it's not going to count for anything, is it? So what sort of a reward could you think of, could you imagine, that would outstrip every other possible reward you could receive? having lived your life in this world? What kind of reward would, would capture your heart and, and, and satisfy your deepest longing? Jesus says, you will receive a reward. He talks about it. And he says this in Matthew 25. If you value above everything else this reward, Jesus speaks to you about it. Jesus says, the master will say to the servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I want you all today to take some time to be still before God and find out what the little thing is he wants you to do in this world. Because so many people, and all of us to some degree, are trying to do the big things, the great things, and we are unfaithful in the little God has assigned to us that is gold, silver, and precious stones. And the greatest reward you and I could possibly ever receive is for the God of the universe to say to us when we are presented before in in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a little. Have you got a wife? Do you love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? We so often look around and and see many things we could do when the very things God has appointed for us to do are right in front of us. If you're a child, even a young person, who has a father and a mother, do you honour them? 
Do you respect their authority? This is gold, silver, and precious stones, friends. This is what God has told us to do. Jesus says, you've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that the greatest reward you could possibly receive? Well, it's connected with what Paul is telling us here. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now, this is a Christian Paul is talking about. This is someone who's going to go to heaven. Because he says, though he himself will be saved, because he was saved by Jesus. But only as through fire. Only as through fire. In these verses, Paul is writing about the time when you and I will go to the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before our Lord. And he will govern and rule over all the works we have accomplished on earth. They're either wood, hay or stubble or they're silver, gold or precious stones. And only the things that he prepared beforehand for you to do are gold, silver and precious stones. One writer put it like this. If we give a man over here... $10,000 and he invests it in wood the next man is given $10,000 he invests it in hay the next man has $10,000 he invests it in stubble and that over there is given $10,000 he invests it in gold he wouldn't get much you know gold at my uh, searching last night is $2,678 an ounce. So he'd get 3.73 ounces with his 10,000. That certainly sounds like a little. Doesn't look like he's got much. Doesn't look like he's, he's really, you know, got, got much to show for himself. And the man over there is given 10000 for, he spends it on silver. Well, he's got a bit more. Silver's only $31 an ounce. He gets 9.1 kilograms. Still not much compared to the wood you could buy for $10,000. Now, this is your life's work. Your life's work is wood, hay, stubble, and the fire will come. Remember, our God is a consuming fire. Sure, God is love. He is absolute pure love. And God longs for each one of us to find the things he has prepared before the foundation of the world for us to enter into and do them. But he is consuming fire and all our life. The lifestyle from the moment you began to witness for Christ, all your service, all your labor for him, they're going to be shown. Well, here's a man. His life is just made of wood. 10,000 worth of mahogany. It may look very beautiful, actually. But when the fire goes, what do you have? All you have is wood going down to ashes, maybe ankle deep, and that's all that's left. 
If your life is wood, the fire is going to come. Hay, it's going to come. The fire is going to come. Stubble, the fire is going to come to it. But what is your life if it is silver, gold and precious stones? What is gold a sign of? Gold, I believe this is what this man is saying, is a sign of devotion to God. You know, the greatest commandment, it's interesting this morning that Jyoti was referring to it in her Bible study, and I had it as the reading of the Old Testament. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Gold is devotion to God. To seek him out, to pursue him with all your heart. Because then he will show you the things he's prepared for you. Gold, devotion to him. And what happens when gold burns? Nothing. All you do is change it from solid to liquid. But you don't reduce it. The gold is going to be there eternally. And it's tied to our devotional life. You know, Jody said a very interesting thing this morning. You can't really love somebody unless you know them. I love my brother Lamb. He's sitting back there because I know him. I know his heart for God. You can't love each other without knowing each other. And COVID friends has seriously impacted that because we have not had the same opportunities to connect. And I would say right now, as a church, we need to take every opportunity to connect. Because actually, one of the works God has called us to do in this little church here is to love each other. There are lots of other people out in the world to love, but he's called us to love each other. We can get distracted by many things. But there's someone sitting behind you or next to you or a few rows away, and God wants you to love that person. You can't love them without knowing them. But the same is true about God, isn't it? You can't love God without knowing him. And this Bible study that is starting is part of the, the ministry of our church to help women get to know God better and to love him more. And we're going to do the same in the men. To get to know God better and to love him more. Gold. Well, this commentator reflects on silver. What is the silver? I guess you could interpret it, he says, like this. I like to interpret it from the book of Proverbs. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Proverbs 10 verse 20. The tongue of the just is choice silver. Do you remember Jesus said you'll be judged by every word that comes out of your mouth? Every word. Idle words. This morning, one of our elders was confessing just distracted words. Gossip. Oh, gossip. I hear so much gossip. Sometimes I struggle to know the truth about people because I hear other people talk about them. I think, I just don't want to hear any of that. I just want to go and talk to them myself. Gossip. Slander. It's very closely connected with gossip, actually. Criticism, prejudice. These are words that come out of our mouths. We might 
do it with our wives or our husbands and think, well, we can do it in that context. It's kind of safe. Except God sees everything. He hears every word we say. And silver are the precious words. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. Can you think of all those awful words? Isaiah certainly saw them, didn't he? When he, when he saw God, he realized his mouth had spoken words that were defiling and corrupt. I'm a man of unclean lips and I face the fire that is coming. Of course, if we repent, we have forgiveness in Jesus. He, he will wash us clean, cleanse us of these things and actually then release us to say words that come from God. And what a blessing to have people who speak words from God to you. Whether you're a husband or a wife or whether you're a father or a mother, whether you're a brother or sister in Christ, to have words from God spoken to you. Uh, they are so precious. They are silver. <laughs> They're gold. They're precious stones. Well, the fire is coming. It will try every believer's work. Silver, gold, precious stones. This writer says he sees the precious stones in this, in this context. I read, I think of the breastplate of the priests. The priests in the Old Testament was divided into 12, 12 stones, precious stones, each different. Each stone had a name of the tribe of Israel on it. And the priest went into the holy place to pray with the breastplate on him. Aren't the precious stones in our lives our prayer life? Our prayer life. Do you know, I was talking to the elders recently. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in revival, the leaders of the church said they would not even serve tables because they devoted themselves to prayer. They realized prayer was so important, so absolutely essential. It was the very lifeblood of the church. Oh, Lord, let that be captured by us. Precious stones. As Jesus said, his house would be a house of prayer for all nations. So Paul says, take care how you build. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, take care how you build. It's important to be careful how you live. Are you truly in fellowship with Jesus? And how do you test this out? Well, you test it through his word. When you become a member of this church, we take you through membership classes. And God says we get to know him through his word, through prayer, and through fellowship with others. We test the spirit. Are you truly in fellowship with Jesus? Are you living constantly under his authority? Are you submitted to his authority? You know, I found the words of Jesus before Pilate some of the most effective, uh, sanctifying words that you can listen to. 
Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. His testimony before Pontius Pilate, Jesus made the good confession. And what did he say? You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you by my father. Is that the way you live with people in authority over you? Your parents? Your boss at work? Leaders in the church? Elders? Do we realize that God has actually appointed these authorities? I think one of the great tests in our lives is how are you living under the authority under which you have been placed, whether it's your workplace, whether it's the church, whether it's your family. You'll be searched. I've been searched. After I got married, I went back to live with my parents. It was a searching year of stripping me of my pride and independence, thinking, well, I'm, I'm free now. I'm a, I'm a married man. But I was living under their authority in their house, under my father's roof. And God searched me. See, what's your attitude? Independence. You can't live in fellowship with God, close fellowship with God, and be independent. It is impossible. Jesus lived in the closest fellowship with his father and he acknowledged all authority had been given by his father in heaven. It's these places of authority where you'll find the tasks God has appointed you to be doing. You know, I got married. It is a new authority. I teach this to people who get married. You are establishing a brand new authority under God. But how precious is that to God? And how precious is your relationship with your wife or your husband under God? It's a place where you will learn to come under the authority of God. And in the little things to do with our marriages, to do with our relationships with our children or our parents, to do with our church life, the way that we yield and respect and respond warmly to the authority God has placed, seeking counsel, seeking to test things that come into our hearts and minds. It doesn't mean you can't challenge authority when it's wrong. But you do it respectfully. You do it with grace. The little but precious tasks that will not be consumed when the fire of God comes are the things that Jesus is wanting every single one of us to recognize in our lives. There was a mum with a little baby or a dad with a little baby there. It's challenging. But it's full of blessing because it sanctifies our hearts. It searches us and shows our need of God. Right, Jess? <laughs> Absolutely. We had five. and 
the place where God has put you is the place he wants you to live for him doing the little things he's assigned for you to do and not be distracted by many other things that would look good wood hay and straw magnificent to people around you but are they the things God has appointed for your life Well, we could all take home today the memory verse from Jeremiah 29, verses 11 to 13. God has plans, and they are good. They're to give us a future and a hope. And he wants us to come to him and earnestly seek what these plans really are. To find them and do them. And when we have finished, we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant you have been faithful in a little amen let's stand and sing Long as life is
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for one another. Amen.